Where were you the day that Superman died? What's up, Story Geeks? On today's podcast, legendary comic book writer and artist Dan Jurgens joins Justin and I to talk about the death of Superman. He wrote and drew Superman number 75, which was the iconic issue where Superman died in November of 1992. So we talk about that issue, we talk about Dan's process, we talk about adaptations of the story that have come since and the cultural impact. This was a really fun conversation, especially for me, who's been reading Dan Jurgens' work my whole life, and his Superman is my Superman, so this was a blast for me. To hear more of our thoughts about the death of Superman, like blogs from Ashley and Anthony, head on over to thestorygeeks.com, and you can share your thoughts with us there as well. While you're there, we'd love it if you'd become a supporter. If you support the Story Geeks on Patreon, you'll get access to all of our premium content, including aftercasts and audiobooks. And on today's aftercast, we're going to talk about other character deaths that we've seen in comics and movies and try to compare the impact to the death of Superman. So become a premium supporter today and unlock all of that content. Hey, Story Geeks, it's Marianne Holland, board chair for the Reclamation Society. Really quick before the team jumps into the podcast, I want to let you know about a brand new web series called Confessions from the Friend Zone. This comedy follows the lovable and nerdy Angelique as she tries to escape the friend zone by using advice found on the internet. Confessions is a story written and directed by women that features a diverse casting crew. You can join in and learn more about this project and why we think it's so important by clicking the link in the show notes or by visiting the Story Geeks Facebook group. And maybe this is your chance to find out exactly what Chewbacca can do for your love life. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now let's dig deeper into the death of Superman. Dan, what a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. It's great to be here. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit before we started recording. Um, I've been a lifelong comic fan. I've been reading comics my whole life. I remember buying the Death of Superman comics right off the shelf at my comic book store. Mm. And I have to say, when people talk about their character, you know, like when they're making a movie and they're like, that's not my Batman, that's not my Wolverine, whatever it is. My Superman is a Dan Jurgens drawn Superman. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I just have to say that. <laughs> That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. <laughs> so what we're going to do today is we're going to dig deep into the death of Superman and um, spend some time on your original story and then talk about some of the adaptations that have come since then. Um, before we get too specific into that story, though, I just want to talk a little bit about Superman in general. I mean, we've all grown up with Superman as a fixture in our life. And um, I'm just curious what he means to all of us as superhero fans. So, Dan, why don't you start there? What does he mean to you? Uh, I I think I would have to say there are two different answers to that. And that is because uh, the the first comic book I ever bought was a Superman comic book. So in terms of me being uh, a fan, I just... I remember that. I remember buying the comic and that exposure to Superman and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's that awareness that somehow, even as a kid, even though I had never seen the black and white Superman TV series uh, or anything else, I kind of knew who Superman was. I can't tell you how I knew. I knew the name. I knew of Superman. That's about as far as I can go. It was the first comic I bought. As a creator, I think I have a bit of a different answer. And I think... 
um, you know, I'm not the first person to say that uh, Superman is who we should aspire to be and Batman right. is who we are. But yeah. I put a lot of credence in that. I think that's very much true. And, um, you know, throughout the time I have worked on Superman, I was often asked by various media whether or not Superman was corny, whether his time has passed and all that kind of stuff. And my response has always been, well, if that's true, and I don't think it is, but if that's true, that's not saying anything about Superman. That's saying more about us, and it's not saying anything good. And, <laughs> and, and I think that's then where I really come into this, that it should not be a bad idea that Superman represents something noble and something higher that we can aspire to. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think, Justin? What has he meant to you growing up? Dan, I resonated with a number of things you just said because I don't remember when I was introduced to Superman, but it almost feels like I always knew him. I uh, came into comic books and DC a little later in life, and so I knew Superman through the um, animated movies, uh, the John Williams score of the Christopher Reeve Superman mm. uh is one of the more iconic film scores in history, I'd say. Um, and then just exactly what you were saying about how Superman stands for truth and justice. Those are things that we should always be interested in and striving for. And it might not be as dark and gritty and interesting as our culture is wanting. And I think you're right. That says something more about the culture um, than it does for us. So uh, the first place that I got really connected to Superman was in Smallville, which is kind of a weird place oh, yeah. for me to oh, start okay, with Superman. Sure. But yeah, <laughs> but that's where um, I was. That was the first show that I kind of saw every episode for a while. I fell off the train at some point. But um, so, yeah, ten year long train. Yeah, <laughs> it was a long train. It was, amazingly so, I might add. Yeah, 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 definitely. But then even just that they ended with the John Williams score, like I loved that. So yeah, Superman uh, is deep in my heart. I don't exactly know where it starts, but and it, he doesn't in many ways fit in our culture. And I think you're exactly right that that is saying more about us than about him as a character. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, for me, I mean, obviously hope is a big part of what Superman represents. I think Man of Steel hit that one on the head with making the symbol a symbol for hope. Um, but he's always just been the ideal superhero. I mean, I know a lot of people refer to him as the first superhero. I don't think that's technically true, but it certainly feels that way. Um, right. And... Uh, He's just always been the ideal for what superheroes are. And growing up reading all the DC comics, loving stuff like Crisis and all these big crossover events, uh, Zero Hour and just all that kind of stuff, I love watching the reverence that all the other characters have for Superman. And you kind of see similar things over on the Marvel side with like Captain America and stuff. But even there, it's not the same. Like Superman is just the ideal. Yeah, I, I really do think that Superman sort of exists in a class by himself, that that yeah. there is uh, the pantheon, and then in the middle of the pantheon of the greatest of superheroes, there's a little bit higher pedestal, and that's where we find Superman. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about how much we love Superman, that then leads me to this question. And Dan, I'm sorry, this is not a question I sent you ahead of time. This one's kind of on the fly, but 
I'm just curious, you know, you wrote and you drew Superman number 75, the iconic issue in which Superman dies. And I'm just curious a little bit about that experience and how much pressure did you feel when you were working on that? Uh, a lot. And, yeah. and for, for a lot of different reasons, because um, as I was writing and drawing it, we didn't yet know that it was going to turn into the big thing that it turned into. Um, sure. We knew at that point, as I was writing and drawing the pages, you know, we had planned the story earlier, but as I was actually writing, drawing the issue itself, we knew the the attention that was out there was building and that a lot of people were starting to look at us and ask us these questions and um you know you could kind of feel it happening out there the 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 entire idea of doing a book that was all splash pages and going to be longer in in terms of a page count and end in a three-page fold out i mean that in and of itself uh, what made it sort of a pressurized situation. And yeah. then as the attention out there was building, we, we knew it was going to be an important story. And, and by that, I don't just mean Superman 75. I mean, the issues that led into it as well as what was coming after. Yeah. And so obviously I had that sense of awareness that it was out there. And, and as it's like with each page, if it were going to take me, you know, a month to do that issue over the course of the month, you know, you could feel it building. And, and part of it is whenever you're doing comics, a lot of it is you're behind anyway. So it's always like, get it done. And there's pressure from that. Sure. But yeah, you could feel it out there and it was coming. And so what I remember, uh, wanting to do is make sure that it was really good and that, you know, we knew we were going to have a lot of extra eyes on it and that people enjoyed it. Yeah, the news attention on it was huge, if I remember. Yes. Yeah. And that is something that increased and increased more and more as we came closer to publication. Right. Um, talk a little bit about the, the splash page layout, about having just one single panel for each page of that issue. I also, I can't, you know, as I was going back and reading and doing some research and stuff, I can't believe I never caught this. I've read this story so many times but I never caught the panel countdown. Oh yeah. In the last four issues. So that was that was all part of of planning uh, the entire story when we had, you know, everybody in uh, in a conference room and so it was all the writers and all the artists and we started talking about um, pace. Right. And how do you make the drama build? How do you make the story build? And how do you just make people feel it more and more? Okay, so one thing in terms of writing and drawing a page of art for comics, um, if you want slow motion in comics, you can achieve that by slowing down time and to do that by adding more panels per page. So for uh -huh. example, um, let's say I have a, a splash page of Superman you know, hitting Luthor, right? But then if I really wanna slow down time, I can break that into 20 panels and, and bounce back and forth between the concentration on Superman's eyes to the uh, tight shot of his fist flying through the air to cut to a quick reaction of Luthor looking horrified, right. you know, and bounce back and forth and all that stuff. And that essentially is slow motion. The opposite of that is, how do you make the music build if it were a film type comic book or something like that? Mm -hmm. And what we decided is we'd have four issues 
with the fight in Doomsday. And the, the first chapter would essentially be four panels a page. Then we'd go down to three panels a page. The, the story that would lead into Superman 75 would be two panels per page. And then finally, Superman 75 would be all splash pages that take you to a double page spread at the end that then would open up into a three page splash. And yeah. that's how we said, let's build this, this sense of speed and action and everything just building and building. And you might not have been really aware of that per se the first time you read it, but I would bet it added to your, to the way you perceived the issue. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, just the images keep getting bigger and bigger and more story is told in each single image. And yeah, it's definitely impactful. Um, how did, how did it affect your approach to write and draw for the single panel issue? I well, imagine that was hard to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, um, that it meant from a story standpoint, there were not going to be a lot of ways to do your typical comic story where you might have like a subplot or anything else, that it was just going to be the fight and that's it. And then if you think about it further, if you're doing um, a 20-page comic book and you have a 10-page fight scene at four panels a page, that's 40 images. Hmm. I didn't even have that. You know, yeah. so it was really a condensed amount of time in terms of the, the passage of time within the issue itself. And then how do you make that work? Uh, we didn't want to have every splash page be Superman or Doomsday hitting each other. So we had wide shots. We had a shot of, say, you know, Lois and Jimmy in a helicopter. We had a yeah. down shot on Metropolis. You know, we, we'd have a shot of uh, the Kents watching the fight from their living room, stuff like that. So as you cut away, it was just an effort to try and show everybody the world as it experienced what was really five minutes at most, totally. really, in, in terms of the fight scene. And then when I drew it, I, I'd have friends in the business who'd say, oh, man, you know, wow, that must have been working fast. You must have got that done in a week. And it's like, <laughs> no, it actually took more time to plan out mm. because of that level of complexity and then making sure that really you're only being able to show very few highlight highlighted type scenes, but it took a while to work everything out in terms of what those would be. Yeah, and you still have to deliver a complete story that feels satisfying as a single issue. Right. Which it totally does. Um, Justin, I know, so Dan, for context, Justin is a newer comic reader. Okay. How long ago did you start reading comics, Justin? Not. I've been reading comics for probably about four, five years, okay. and yeah. much of that has been in the Marvel universe. Right. So very new even to the DC. All of my exposure comes from Daryl, so he's been a very good friend. <laughs> <of> okay. <me. laughs> okay. So you have the distinction of you probably just read this story for the first time like yesterday, right? I, yeah, two days ago. Two days ago. So what did you think? What did you think of the single panel approach? Oh, it felt epic. It, it was... Um, it felt like the comic book equivalent to IMAX, where um, yeah. you get to really take in everything that was happening. So just even the moments where um, Doomsday and Superman are fighting and then glass is shattering behind them because of the impact of the blows. Just details that you don't get to put into your standard comic uh, frame. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting uh, hearing you talk about the... 
idea of putting more panels in to slow down time because this felt like it slowed down time for me a lot. Uh, just letting every single moment land differently um, than it would have if there was more information for yeah. me. Um, and so it was making me feel like a Ken Burns documentary. Like it felt <laughs> all in memorial of Superman even before anything happened, even before he passed away. Um, Dan, I, I was imagining that all of those frames were um, Jimmy's uh, camera shots. And of course, he's in some of the frames, so that wasn't perfect. But was that any of the idea that some of those frames were uh, just straight out of Jimmy's camera? Um, not until... And, and the reason they weren't is because we planned um, a very specific storyline coming out of that where Jimmy runs up and photographs essentially Superman's body, his corpse. Okay. And so uh, we then have, I think, uh, might have been the very next issue of Adventures of Superman that has a down shot that Tom Grummet drew of Superman's body sort of in the in the bottom of the crater. Mm -hmm. and, I, yeah. and I think that, you know, that was very much a story. I mean, how does it feel if you're Superman's, quote, best friend, unquote, and you take a picture of his body? And, mm. and what does that do of Jimmy to Jimmy? So we had mm. a very specific storyline plan for that coming out of that. So actually, we tried, I think, to make sure that we avoided that as a as a story element at that point. Got it. Even though, yeah. even though, yes, we see a picture in the shot or in the issue of you know a close up of Jimmy's camera with Superman and Doomsday reflected in the lens. So we took certainly took some of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the impact of this. I mean, we see lots of heroes die and return. Um, I certainly remember for me, this was the first one when I actually like felt emotionally affected by it, you know? And, um, so I'm just curious what we think the impact of this has been. It's been over 25 years since this issue came out. Mm. Um, Dan, what have you seen as the impact in just in storytelling and pop culture in general since this came out? Um, a lot. I, yeah. I mean, you know, on on the surface of things, you have you've got a couple of animated movies. We we had a a text novelization that Roger Stern did. Uh, also, back then there was an audio tape that was done of it, um, and we also have sort of that combined with Frank Miller's Dark Knight stuff in Batman versus Superman. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, this has been been done and adapted right in terms of the story itself. Beyond that, I think there are other wrinkles. I've had other creators tell me that they had talked about doing a death of character. And then the reason they didn't is because they knew they would always be compared to the death of Superman and why go <laughs> yeah. down that road sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I know that um, a few years ago, Marvel had done the death of Captain America, which they did a black bag version sort of like we did. Mm -hmm. And so, I just think that to a certain extent, and I want to be careful here because I don't want to sound like I'm patting our own group on the back, but mm. I do think it sort of established a visual vocabulary as well as a touch point in history that is not going to be beat in terms of that type of story yeah. and has also resonated with people to this day in terms of something that they remember fairly fondly yeah 
Yeah, I think I tend to agree with you again because I'm more of a Marvel fan in general, but this feels important and this feels different. And it feels like you said, a touch point in history. And then even like you were talking about with the uh, black bag and later with the white bag, those are just iconic and unique and something that, yeah, can't be replicated without comparing it back to this story. Yeah. And it's, it's also just from a, yeah, I mean, so many characters have done the same thing, have died and come back, but I just don't think we universally care about a character as much as we care about Superman. No. Not even Batman. And I'm a Batman guy. Like my, my favorite comic book character is Dick Grayson, is Nightwing, but we are so emotionally attached to Superman that to watch him die and then to go through the joy of him coming back and it's just it hasn't been redone mm. since then and i agree with you dan I, I i i think you guys should pat yourself on the back i don't think yeah. i don't think it can be rivaled no and and i also think some of it is because because of our publishing format where if we go back to that time there were four superman titles one came out every week and for that stunt and when I say stunt, I don't mean marketing stunt. I mean, from a storytelling standpoint, we always called it a stunt when all the books combined to tell one story. Right. It was essentially a weekly, a weekly comic book. And what you get to do then is pay so much more attention to the other characters, whether it's Lois, whether it's Jimmy, whether it was Ma and Pa Kent or whomever else, that you can really focus on them and their reactions and what they experience. And by mm -hmm. focusing yes. on what they experienced it was essentially dealing with what the readers were experiencing as well. So mm. it all worked out that way extremely well. And that made it more successful than had it just been a monthly book. Mm. Yeah. And it was, I mean, the adaptations that have come since then, we'll talk more about those in a little bit here and they've been great, but it, I just don't think it'll ever be completely faithfully adapted because we had about a year for Reign of Superman. Am, am I right about that, Dan? It was about that time frame uh, until Superman well, came back? No, I don't think... Well, it ended up being about that long before he came back, but coming yeah. out of the death of Superman, we had Funeral for a Friend, which right, was, right. you know, a couple months of how does the world react to Superman being dead? And then we broke publication for a while and then came back with Reign of the Superman. Okay. Yeah. But even that time frame, the amount of time that we had, like Steel and Superboy and the Eradicator and Cyborg Superman... We had a lot of time with those characters to mm -hmm. learn the intricacies of them, to learn to trust some of them, to have that trust betrayed. And it was just such an epic storyline that I don't see how anybody could ever fit that into a, a movie or even two movies, right. <laughs> right? which is probably why they changed it so much for the adaptation, which we'll get to. But for now, I want to dive into Doomsday himself. So... Um, He's unlike any other Superman villain we see. A lot of the Superman villains, you know, Lex Luthor has his, his intellect. And we see a lot of the other characters are searching for power. You know, Darkseid, Mongol, Brainiac. Doomsday is just wanting to hurt people. He just wants to destroy things. Maxima, in the issue, refers to him as hate, death, and bloodlust personified. Nothing more. So, Justin, let's start with you on this one. What do you think is the significance of Superman ultimately being killed by a character like this? Uh, I think 
with that question, the uh, the thing that stood out to me more was just that it feels more important that Superman died protecting people from him, yeah. uh, more so than that that character was able to kill Superman. So he definitely feels like the yin to Superman's yang kind of a thing. They're, yeah. they're just opposite sides of the same uh, coin where they're both so powerful, um, but then he has you know no moral compass and no interest in truth and justice and hope and all the things that Superman stands for. Um, it was kind of reminding me of Brightburn, the movie that's coming out later this year, of just kind of <laughs> the Superman if, horror movie. <laughs> what if someone has you know super abilities, but is uh, a monster? Yeah. And so that's what um, Doomsday is. And it, the fact that he just doesn't talk, he just laughs at the destruction that he's creating. It just he's just this ominous, horrifying guy. And I thought that the character design revealed over time was super cool as his yeah. suit continues to tear apart. And um, just even that they demonstrated his power through, for the first while, literally having him have one hand tied behind his back and still holding his own against everybody was just a really uh, interesting way to reveal that character. So, yeah, it just feels like not really that his point of view is valid or, you know, that anything about what he's doing Doomsday is kind of worth talking about. It's just that Superman yeah. is strong enough to stop him, the only one that's strong enough to stop him. Yeah. And Dan, Doomsday was your design. Am I right about that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, what was that like for you? How do you see the significance of this being the character that killed Superman? Were you aware of that difference at the time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what had happened is... We, we, you know, as I said, we had our meetings. I went in, I had uh, a yellow legal tablet, and I had two things written on it, which were Monster Trashes Metropolis, and the other one was Death of Superman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At that time, there was no thought, I certainly had no thought, that those would be put together as one idea. Um, my thing is that as I looked at Superman villains at the time, you know, we had Lex Luthor, who was then just a businessman, and because of that, you couldn't have a physical confrontation with Superman. Right. You had Mr. Mijaz Pitalik, who was just a little, you know, magical imp. Uh, you know, we had other guys that, like, Prankster or Toy Man, who really, you know, it was no one Superman could fight. We, we right. had a sh severe shortage of physical mm -hmm. villains. And so we got to talking about it. I did a sketch of Doomsday on the spot as we were sitting there chatting. And... Um, kind of came up with the very, very rough design that ended up being him. But the entire idea behind it really was, and, and Justin said it was sort of like the other side of the coin, the yin to Superman's yang, uh, and that's exactly what it was supposed to be. Superman is very much the voice of reason. I, I think mm. if Batman drops down, or, or most heroes, off the side of a building, you know, they're right. They're just going to beat the shit out of whoever, right? Whatever <laughs> yeah. bad guy is there. Superman might be the one who says, look, I know you've got guns, but they're not going to do you any good anyway if you squeeze the trigger. So let's just talk this out and, you know, figure this out. And he's not necessarily there to be vindictive. Right. Um, Superman thinks his way out of problems. He's a smart guy. He's a reasonable guy. Doomsday has none of those. It's as opposite of Superman as you can be. He was 
a force of nature. And even as we talked about the story, we called him a force of nature and said, what if a hurricane, instead of just, you know, plowing through whatever community, was on legs and could just start walking around and change direction and had some level of intent. And that's sort of what it is. It was, he was an unstoppable beast that was just there to do what had to be done. And, and the fact that Superman could not reason with him, that Doomsday was going to keep going until he was dead himself is very much part of the story we were trying to build. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the adaptations that we've seen of this. There have been several, Dan. You mentioned um, two animated movies. We've seen this recreated in the Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and um, lots of other things. So I want to focus in specifically on Batman versus Superman and then one of the animated movies right now. And in Batman versus Superman, it's kind of a different take on um, what it means for Superman. So in our original story, he's very much the hero of the world, right? He's the hero of Metropolis. Everybody knows who Superman is. Everybody reveres him. Everybody loves him. And they watch him die. And then in Batman versus Superman, it's very much, he's still the strange alien from another world that not a lot of people trust yet. And it's almost this sacrifice he makes that makes people realize, oh, this man was a hero. So there's a definite difference between there. Um, Dan, I'm just curious how those resonate with you. Which one can you identify with better? Well, I, I think I, I think I can identify with both of them. And part of it is if we look at Batman versus Superman, Superman was still somewhat an unknown commodity to the world. Mm -hmm. um, so that was part of it. And then uh, at the same time, it was another aspect of, you know, wanting to fuse it with the fight between Batman and Superman, as we sort of saw in the Dark Knight stuff. So it right. was a different story, and I can I can understand that. In a way, you had a world that was very, very suspicious of Superman that I think then got to see what he was because of his sacrifice, and ideally would not have become, you know, exactly that. Yeah, it's definitely a different take. I see value in both of them, for sure. Justin, what, which one resonates more with you? I think the original story resonates more with me because yeah. I didn't have to be convinced of who Superman was. So <laughs> I feel like this goes back to our opening conversation where uh, Batman versus Superman was a little bit more um, appropriate for the culture that we're living in. Yeah. Where the, when we have gone through so many different scandals and downfalls of powerful individuals and institutions in our culture, it's hard to trust that someone could be as good as Superman is. And so for him to prove that, um, uh, there's uh, that uh, saying that, you know, greater love has no one than he that lays down his life for his friends. So, you know, that Superman does that act, that greatest sacrifice right. um, to prove that. So, but um, I was very moved uh, in the original comic just because I already knew who Superman was. And I already knew these existing relationships between Lois and he and uh, the Clarks and he, um, yeah. or the Kents and he. Um, so that was all very interesting to me. Uh, kind of circling back to our original conversation a little bit, 
Um, it's interesting to me that I, uh, when you read about Superman, there are a lot of people that compare him to kind of a Christological character. And that, mm -hmm. that, like, that's how good he is, that people like have no other place to put him, but like, well, he's kind of like Jesus, you know? <laughs> um, and so that's just interesting to me um, that there could be a character that was like, that good and then this storyline brought that out again of course as uh, a sacrifice and a death and uh eventual coming back to life and all of that so uh dan was there anything for you in that as far as like uh you know going back to that christological story or not so much the funny thing is um that if you go back to when we did all of this um Superman 75 came out in um, November of 1992. And, you know, then, you know, we had two more months of uh, Superman comics. And then when Adventures of 500 came back, Adventures of Superman 500 is where we started to say, okay, Superman's coming back, he's alive. That was in April. And the book came out right around Easter. And so... <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, and we were aware that that might happen, but yeah, we certainly, that was brought up a lot even then. So, mm. uh, any, any take that goes along that in terms of a theme is not exactly anything new. Mm. Right. And they certainly play it up in Batman versus Superman two and in man of steel. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, and, I... and you know, if we think about it, uh, as far as what would happen in the real world, yeah, of course that would happen. I mean, sure. yeah, exactly right. So it would always be super, something like that. And, and I think the other part is this, and that is as Superman had been constructed in, in those movies, you know, he hadn't been Superman for long. And he was, you know, he showed up as Superman and, and took action. It's not like um, he had been Superman for seven or eight years where he had been a constant on the world where everybody would have grown comfortable with him, that kind of thing. So that right. was also a strong part of it that, you know, if you start to compare it to uh, the life and times of Jesus, you know, he had not been out there as a prophet that long. So it was, yeah, there was more comparisons to be drawn. Sure. I think one of the reasons that I will forever resonate with the original story more than probably any adaptation they could do is just because the fact that it existed within the context of the greater DC universe. And when you get to the, you know, funeral for a friend and you see all those iconic images of every hero in the DC universe lined up with a black armband, there's just the impact mm -hmm. that Superman had can't be felt any more clearly than just seeing this entire world that circles around him paying respect to him mm. and you know no matter i mean it's just going to be so hard to introduce that many characters <laughs> into any adaptation and have it be a world that's existed for long enough and has enough history and enough legacy and i just i love that impact i'm always dan whenever we talk on these shows i'm always talking about legacy in comics i love legacy characters and i love long histories and stuff like that so sure that stuff just impacts me so much 
Yeah, and I, I think one way that some members of our culture now are getting elements of that is just through streaming services like Netflix where we get to live with characters longer. Yeah. But none of that compares like to what you're saying to the yeah. years of building up a huge universe that all came together in this. Totally. Um, another big difference that we see between the original and the adaptations is those supporting characters and the characters that are surrounding him. Um, you know, like we're talking about Batman versus Superman in that he's pretty much just fighting alongside Batman and Wonder Woman, who we see for the first time in that film. And then in the most recent animated version, we have sort of the iconic representation of the Justice League. You know, we've got Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Cyborg. But when this came out, the Justice League looked very different. It was kind of coming off the heels of Justice League International. And there was a whole set of characters that are very different from the original iconic ones. So, you know, we had Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, who was also your creation, Dan, if, if I'm right. correct. Right, uh, yep. Fire, Ice, Guy Gardner, Bloodwind, who in the end would turn out to be Martian Manhunter in disguise later mm. on. And Maxima, who used to be a villain, a Superman villain, and is now part of the Justice League at the time. So it's a very different story in a very different set of characters fighting against Doomsday before he even gets to Superman. So, um, Dan, talk a little bit about that. Talk about how that kind of affected the dynamic of the story. Well, yeah, there were... So, if we go back to that time, <clears throat> there were two different Justice League books, and the cast was kind of divided 50-50 among the big seven, and, you know, then... You, you brought in, like, the B-list characters to kind of augment the teams. And so I think what made this a little bit different is that when uh, Doomsday first showed up in the comics, he plowed through Justice League, populated with the characters you mentioned. The, the, from a storytelling device standpoint, the idea was still the same. Uh, show how strong he is by, fact, by virtue of the fact that he just plows through these guys. Yeah. Um, in the movie, it was Batman versus Superman was a little bit different because they were using more of the standard, you know, uh, Batman, Wonder Woman. We get into a higher level of character group and everything at that point. So I think that's more classic Justice League. I think what was fun with the comic book version is because Doomsday didn't really talk, he could never come out and say, I am Doomsday. <laughs> right. So I actually had Booster, Booster Gold give him that tagline, which I thought worked well and was kind of fun. So it, the thing I enjoyed about it is I thought the variables among the personalities were a little more fun and interesting at that time. Yeah. And you had also been working on the Justice League book at that yeah. point, right? Right. Yeah, I was writing and drawing that at the same time. Yeah. What did you think about that, Justin? Were you from? Were you totally unfamiliar with some of those characters? I was completely unfamiliar <laughs> with some of those characters. You know, again, just because I hadn't been reading uh, those comics, especially in in that time. So when I've seen the adaptations, I, as a more casual fan, knew exactly what it meant for Doomsday to be able to beat Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and all, and Batman, uh, yeah. even Martian Manhunter. I didn't. Because I didn't even know that Bloodwind was Martian Manhunter. So, um, so yeah, and so really quick on the side on that, Dan. I'm just curious. I know this is real deep for non-comic fans, but I have to know: <laughs> had you had you made the decision at that point that Bloodwind was going to turn out to be Martian Manhunter? Did you guys yes. know? You yeah. did. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah. So 
the impact I, uh, from a storytelling point of view, I think was the same because they're the Justice League, they're superheroes, and they're being thrown around, thrown through walls and all of that. This isn't good. Doomsday is powerful. Yeah. That was all communicated, but it just uh, didn't hit me the same as watching some of the uh, clips from the animated film where you, I know these characters right. and they're being thrown around. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the scene from the Death of Superman animated film where Wonder Woman specifically is facing off against Doomsday is really powerful. Mm. Yes, it is. Yeah, I like that a lot. But the thing I like about it being these characters in the original story is there really is this sense of, I feel like they realize very quickly that they have no shot against Doomsday. Mm. They can't stop him but they are still going to do absolutely everything they can, even die if they have to, in order to protect people, to keep him from getting to Metropolis, and to help Superman. And I just think that's so powerful. Like, these are not the most confident superheroes we've ever seen, but they're still giving every single thing they have, just like Superman would. Right, mm. they're a little more human. And, yeah. and I think um, the, the funny, and this is, comes from, may sound funny coming from a guy who writes and draws Superman. I like heroes that have a mortal sense to them. Totally. Um, you know, Superman, because he is Clark Kent, has some of those attributes. Um, but at the same time, I think Superman looks more like Superman. If you then have those around him who put even more on the line just trying to do the right thing because, and they have human frailties. I just find that more interesting and I always have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I feel like that also speaks to how inspirational Superman as a character is, that he is causing those around him to rise up to a greater level, even at a greater personal risk to themselves. Yeah. Um. And as we're talking about the people around him, one constant in every version of this story is Lois. And I think maybe with the exception of Alfred Pennyworth, I'm not sure there has ever been a supporting character to any superhero who has been as constant and important as Lois Lane has been to Superman. Um, so, Dan, I'm going to start with you on this. Why is Lois so important to Superman and to this story specifically? How has she endured so long? Um, okay, so to backtrack, uh, just like 120 seconds in, in what you were saying, uh -huh. um, you said maybe besides Alfred, and I would say no, even Alfred doesn't get to the same point Lois does. Mm, I agree, too. I was just so desperate to try sure. and think of a comparison. That's the best yeah. I could do. <laughs> if, if you go back to Action Comics number one, which came out in 1938, mm. we saw Superman, we saw Clark Kent, and we saw Lois Lane even then. So it's 1938, <clears throat> and um, when the world is very, very different than it is now, and there's Lois Lane working as a reporter at the Daily Planet. <clears throat> and, um, I mean, I don't think you can underscore or emphasize enough just how important that was and how different it was even for the time. I mean, that just wasn't... I don't think you could walk into a whole lot of major metropolitan newspapers, and I'm no expert on this, so I could be wrong, but find a lot of women who are working as reporters and working the news beat. It's not mm -hmm. like she was 
you know, reporting on flower shows at the local high school, right? <laughs> right, yeah. She wasn't so, doing the puff pieces. Right. So you start with the fact that she's there in Action Comics number one. Then we start with the idea that, as I said earlier, Superman is also Clark Kent. And a lot of, I, I discuss this whether people is, you know, is Superman really an alien? I don't think Superman sees himself as an alien. Mm -hmm. I don't think Superman regards himself as an alien. Um, I know one of the reasons I never had Superman say Great Rao, which he had done earlier in, in DC history, uh -huh. is because... To, to say that is sort of an expression that you recognize a Kryptonian god, and I don't think Superman does, because culturally, that's not who he is. Right. Um, he is very much Clark Kent. He grew up on a farm in Kansas. And I think Lois is... Superman got his start as a member of humanity, and I think Lois is his anchor to humanity. Lois is his sort of... Um, guiding light in a lot of ways in terms of who mankind is, who we all are. And and I think she is absolutely integral to Superman. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Justin, what do you think about Lois? I, I, I loved your comment about how she was in the comics from issue one and doing uh, performing a job that may have not been typical in the culture. And so today when diversity and representation is so important and celebrated that that was something that action comics has been doing you know creating a strong independent competent woman uh and that she is you know an important part to this story you know all the way back in 1938 is just a wonderful thing to reflect on and i think that lois and clark as a couple have come to a place that um you know it's not quite as um well known as like romeo and juliet but they're like in that list yeah. of you know <laughs> yeah. all-time love stories uh right. all-time friendships totally. all-time partnerships um and that's just another one of those things like going back to the beginning of our conversation i don't remember when i was introduced to superman i don't remember when lois and clark you know became uh, a a couple in my mind, but they've um, just always they been. just always have been. Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm curious. So Dan, we did a an episode a couple months back with Chuck Patton, where we talked about Superman the movie, um, the original movie from '78, oh, and sure. we got to talking about Lois Lane and all the different adaptations of Lois Lane on screen. Um, so I had, I got Chuck's opinion, but I'm curious what you guys think too. I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm curious what your favorite portrayal of Lois Lane has been. What do you think, Dan? Um, well, there are many good ones. Uh, I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, what we saw there was a very different take on Lois Lane that I think worked out really, really well for its time. I love the fact that you had a Lois Lane that couldn't spell, for example. I mean, I just thought that was... <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it humanized her to a huge degree, and I love sure. that. And then uh, in the Lois and Clark TV show, the series, uh, Lois ends up calling um, Clark Smallville, which I thought mm -hmm. was brilliant. I, I mean, it's like, my God, how did none of us ever think of that? And the funny thing is... I and remember that really uh, stuck. You see that oh, from yeah. then on all over the place. Oh yeah, and we were all so that you had the uh, the comics creative team. We were sitting in a conference room watching the pilot before it ever came out. Uh huh. 
And the second she used that, we're all like looking at each other going, we got to use that. And how come none of us ever thought of it, right? <laughs> so I think that was great. But I really believe that I thought that uh, a person who sort of put all those things together so very well was Erica Durant in the Smallville TV series. Yeah. That, that she had a little bit of that spitfire sense going to her um, that I thought really worked well. And in terms, okay, so this... Now we're getting off the beaten trail. But in terms of how I hear Lois's voice in my head when I write her, in terms of how I visualize Lois when I draw her, I think that's um, what I connected with the most, mm. which means I have that preconceived notion. <laughs> and for an artist, that's hard to get rid of. But it, uh, that's the one I really liked. Cool. Yeah. And for me, Smallville, that, that's, that's just, that's you know, it, what huh? I was saying. It's where I started with Superman. So... Uh, that's exactly where I would have gone. But then I also appreciate Amy Adams. Uh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. She she brings a, a depth and a heart to it that I really like. Totally. Yeah, I think um, Amy Adams, specifically from Man of Steel, I thought was really, really great. I agree. Um, and then I also, I really like uh, uh, Lois, uh, Rebecca Romaine's Lois from The Death of Superman. And I mean, I think she voiced that character even in some of the other Justice League animated movies. But I really like the way that they put Lois out there in that animated adaptation. So you should see that, Justin. I will. It's really good. <laughs> um, sorry, just a little extra question I threw at you guys there. Um, we started this conversation talking about what Superman meant to us in our youth and as fans. And now that we've spent you know, about the last 45 minutes talking about his death and his sacrifice. Um, I'm curious if that changes it in any way. Does How does going through the experience of his death change your view of him? Does it at all? Dan, did it change it for you after you wrote it? Oh, um, that's a hard question to answer because it, it changed things for me a lot professionally. I don't uh -huh. know that it necessarily changed my perception of Superman, but at the same time, I'm the first one to say that after writing and drawing as much Superman as I have, my appreciation and the way I look at the character have changed some. So it for me, it's a little more nuanced and, and probably something that um, is still that, that I'm still processing a little bit because so, you know, I, I when I wrote Superman back then, I approached it one way. And then a couple of years ago, when I was writing action comics on up through 1000, I was writing Superman a little bit differently. And some of that is because I had aged. I was a different, somewhat different human being by then my perceptions of life in general and in the world around me had probably changed. So I think we constantly sort of change our interpretation of characters as we work on them. And mm -hmm. so I'm sorry, that's an overly long answer to what should have been a more easy question to answer. Oh no. Hey, we're a podcast. We like long answers. Oh, okay. that's, that's, that's our bread and butter. That's great. 
Um, Justin, you obviously, you just read the story. So yeah. what, what did it change for you about your view of Superman? I think it just kind of deepened my view of who Superman was mm-hmm. because, again, I haven't read the stories immediately following this, but I would anticipate that when Superman comes back to life, he doesn't say, oh my gosh, I can die. I'm going to stop putting myself in danger. You right. know, so even just for him to have a greater sense of there are limits that he has and he can be hurt and he can be killed and that he keeps doing it and that he keeps uh, sacrificing himself and putting himself out there and protecting and defending. Uh, It just, it doesn't really change anything. It just kind of continues to solidify who he is. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that I, I asked this question is that one of my favorite things in Superman storytelling, and um, and especially Dan, your Superman storytelling, because I really see it here, is heart. You know, Superman has a lot of heart, and Dan, you talked about focusing on the fact that he is Clark Kent. He sees himself as part of humanity, not as from Kryptonian culture, and I feel like that's kind of where that heart comes from. That's where we can relate to him, and watching him go through this, watching him experience death, experience something that maybe he thought he was above, is, it only increases that heart for me. It just endears him to me even more, makes him more relatable, and when he comes back and sort of retakes the mantle of Superman, he just has that much more gravity and that much more heart to him. Sure. And I really love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it shouldn't be lost that when he does all this, it was a conscious decision on his part. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he knew that he was up against something he was unlikely to walk away from. Right. And, and you get to see that continuing revelation of like, oh, my gosh, he's making me bleed. Oh, my gosh, this hurts, you know, throughout yeah. that whole story. Yep. Yep, totally. And we... Um, our, our other host is Jay, Dan, and we've talked with Jay a lot about Justice League, the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's there's certainly, you know, there's some issues with that movie. It didn't turn out as they hoped it would, I think. But we all agree that one of our very favorite moments from that movie is when um, Flash is coming up on Superman when they're all trying to fight him. And, and Superman just turns and looks at him and Flash is like, holy crap, he's fast enough to see me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just that moment of vulnerability, and it's like, well, if you like that one little moment, go read The Death of Superman, Mm -hmm. because it's all, Superman feels the exact same way when he's going up against Doomsday. Mm -hmm. Right. And I love that. Um, I just have one more question here. I want to just dream about the future a little bit in the world of Superman movies. We've come to a point where it seems like there's going to be a change. It doesn't necessarily feel like we're going to get more Henry Cavill as Superman. And I'm curious what you guys might be dreaming about for the cinematic future of Superman. Justin, do you want to start this one? Um, yeah, just for me, just that there would continue to be a loyalty to this character. Just that, yeah. you know, even if Superman in some ways, like we were saying, doesn't completely fit with our culture and with some of the trends uh, of our modern time that he would still be used as an example of what we could be striving for and what might really matter. I think that movies like Wonder Woman and the uh, the character of Captain America have done that where they're kind of 
old timey in a sense, but it resonates with people yeah. and it matters. And so uh, whatever Superman comes back uh, as in a film iteration, I just want to see it stay loyal and consistent with who he is. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? I mean, especially as somebody who actually gets to influence what we see of Superman in the comics, do you have hopes for what they do with the movies in the future? Well, I would certainly love to see more. I, I would I would just start with that. And, and I think um, the idea is to understand that you can get as big as you want with Superman. I mean, one of the wonderful things about Superman is you can tell a story about something that is big as an intergalactic adventure. Well, at the uh -huh. same time, because he is Clark Kent, tell a story about something that is relatively small that happens between he and Lois or his mother or whomever. But I think to, to really make it work, the idea is to identify what we try and do in comics is what makes Superman unique and what makes him more special than everybody else. And we always get back to that big blue Boy Scout question. And I <laughs> right. hate that question. And, and I, I hate that filmmakers or whether it's animated or writers in comics, it doesn't matter where, but how do you wrestle with that? Yeah. And I think that's where it has to be what I said earlier, which is if that's going to be something you look at, make it a commentary on us and yeah. not, and Superman with, along with that, but that it's all, you know what I mean? That that it has to be, you know, don't try and walk back from it. Don't discard it. Embrace it. Right. Just don't call him the Boy Scout and just say Superman is the shining light. And if we can't recognize that, that's our fault, not his. Totally. Yeah. I think um, for me, I think part of that is the hope that Superman brings. It's that positivity. It's that optimism. And I would, what I would love to see is sort of, the positivity and optimism we got from Christopher Reeves portrayal, but today with the technology that we have, you know, I think, and it can be done. I think the wonder woman film yep. put that sort of positivity out there beautifully. Yes. And I would love to see that sort of, like you're talking about Dan, sort of that bravery to really approach that angle of the character done in a very positive way. I would love to see that. And I think we'll probably get there eventually. Yep. Um, um Go ahead. You know, I, I was just going to say, and, and I think that when it's done well, you know, you do it in an entertaining way. You don't have to hit people over the head with a two by four. Right. Yeah. Right. It, you know, I don't think we need to see Superman stand up in front of the United Nations and make a speech. Hmm. I think it's more, you know, you know, it's what I always say. You don't need to say, have the character stand up and say, follow me. I'm the paragon of virtue and everything else. It's more lead by example. Yeah. And I've always said when Superman's in the Justice League, he never says I'm the boss. He never says I'm the leader. He just does it and everybody yeah. follows. And I think that's the key to making it work. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it is in little moments. I mean, especially you see it in the comics. He, you know, he'll take a moment to talk to the person that he just saved. Or like you said, Dan, he'll give who he's fighting or maybe you said it, Justin, he'll give who he's fighting a chance to turn around before he beats them up, mm, you know? Right. And it's just those little moments and little pauses that I think show a lot of that positivity. Because you don't see that from Batman as much. Like, Batman will show up, he'll beat the heck out of the villain, and he'll tell the person he's saving, get out of here, you know? But with Superman, he really takes a minute to sort of be with people and sort of try to be a part of the world that he's trying so hard to protect. 
So I think you see a lot of that positivity come through in those moments. Right. Um, those are all the questions I have, guys. Is there anything else that you're just dying to say about this story and about Superman's impact that I failed to give you a chance to say? Well, just for me, <laughs> it's very rare that I get to thank one of the people responsible <laughs> know, for it. Right? So, Dan, thank you for uh, this story and, and for your time today with us. Well, actually, I have a question for you, Justin. Yes. Here's my question. So you just read this story, but you must have had some awareness that there had been a death of Superman and stuff like that done earlier, right? Yes, yes. So when you read it, you must have had some preconceived notion of what it was? Yeah. So, um, you know, I was making the joke to myself like, oh, spoiler alert. You know, like, you know, you <laughs> yeah, know what you're getting yeah. into when you start reading this story. Um, I was not very aware of who the character of Doomsday was. I knew that he was one of the um, arch rivals of Superman, but I couldn't have described him. Uh, I would have never known that he didn't really speak um, I, or, or just exactly how he approached it. Um, and just even like we were talking about, I didn't know the lineup of the Justice League at that time. So I did not know how Superman died. Um, I was aware of the uh, the comic art and the um, black bag and those things as collector's <laughs> items. So I, you know, I was aware of a number of things, but I wasn't aware of the stories or um, the single panel um, approach. And I don't think I mentioned it. I, I went to the uh, Walt Disney uh, Family Museum a little while ago. And when Walt Disney dies at that part of the museum, the museum goes from this colorful, warm, frenetic, energetic place to this bleak, just plain white room. And so just like the choices of the physical space and how uh, that stops you and slows you down. This comic had a very similar feel to me where I was like feeling every moment and feeling every blow and that it was slowing me down enough to appreciate exactly what was happening. So, um, so yes, I was aware that Superman died and that he came back to life, but it was, it was this story brought me into it in such a way that it didn't feel, it, it still felt like it all mattered. Um, you know, even though Superman came back to life later, even though, you know, I had a, a vague understanding of all of it, it was, it, I was impressed by how much it affected me. Okay, fair enough. I, I always want, I ask that of people <clears throat> because, you know, we always say it's sort of like the graphic novel you read where you already know what happens on the last page because it's in yeah, the title, right? right? So yeah. I always wonder, but that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the emotional impact of it can't be overstated. And like we've said before, I don't think it's going to be equaled as we move forward because I just don't know that there's anybody that we care about as much as we care about Superman as an entire culture. Yeah, and it was a cult When it happened, it, was, it became a cultural event. It really did. So yeah. there is that, yes. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Yep, lots of fun. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's show. A very special thanks to Dan Jurgens, comic book writer and artist extraordinaire for joining us. If you want more content from the Story Geeks related to Superman, DC, comic books, head over to thestorygeeks.com. 
This week, you'll find blogs from Ashley and Anthony. And if you head right now to become a supporter of the Story Geeks for only $2 a month or more, you'll unlock access to this week's Aftercast, where we discuss other famous deaths in pop culture. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast is our new season of MCU podcast. So don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of that. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend and review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. That's it. Thanks again for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth.